Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1020 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, September the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the podcast at Locked On Raptors. And you can find the podcast on all your favorite podcast providers as well. Uh, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Odyssey, all that stuff. Plus, you can follow it on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Be a pal. Be a friend. Subscribe. Hit the button. We are moving towards 700 subs. And we very much appreciate every single one of them. So thank you in advance for hitting that button and supporting the show. All right. On today's show, we are talking about my annual ranking every Raptor list over at RaptorsHQ.com. It is an exercise that I started four years ago, and I'll be doing it until I'm in my grave, I think, because I can't. I'm a completist, I suppose, and I need to have every single player from the Raptors ranked in some sort of specific order. And uh, I've done version 4.0 over the last week or so, or at least the first half of version 4.0. The second half will be coming up later this week. And joining me to dissect the list, tell me why I'm wrong, talk about whether Aaron Baines is too high or too low, should Alex Len be above or below Rafael Arujo, and so much more. It is the brand new editor-in-chief of Raptors HQ, my new boss, Josh Curran. Josh, how's it going, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me, Sean. Oh, very happy to have you on the show. Uh, for uh, this is your is this your first time on the podcast? Have you been my on before? Very, my very first time on the podcast. Wow, you get the Long promotion of- to editor, <laughs> managing editor, and then it all comes crashing down when I invite you on the podcast. Uh, so <laughs> sorry to uh, disturb the wave that you were riding there, but we're very happy to have you on the show, man. Um, so yeah, we're going to dig into my ranking every Raptor list. Again, you can go to RaptorsHQ.com and read it. It's like one of the top stories on the page right now. So you can go check it out if you have not already. It's also, I believe, my pinned tweet or it's in my recent tweets, whatever. You can go read it. Um, it is like the, my favorite thing I do every year. I spend way too much time thinking about it. I spend way too much time comparing the virtues of Roger Mason and Omar Cook to various members of the current Toronto Raptors. But hey, it's, it's a good time. Nonetheless, so let's dig into the list here, Josh. We're going to kind of go sort of reverse order and then we'll just sort of assess whether I went wrong or right in where I ranked a lot of these guys. And uh, let's start with some of the bigs that uh, dotted the Raptors roster last season, Josh. Uh, You know, we'll get later on into sort of Paul Watson Jr., Yuta Watanabe, uh, some other interesting players who uh you know moved a little bit higher in the rankings but uh sort of first time guys who make their first appearance in the rankings and surely their last appearance because i don't think they're getting invited (laughs) back uh let's start there alex len let's begin with him he's the first entry on this year's list he comes in at number 234 on the list and i chose to put him one spot higher on the list than number 235 Rafael Arujo. Uh, he's also in the mix with like Euro Slowcar at 236. Ronald Dupree is at 233. These are names you may or may not remember, as Alex Len is a name you may or may not remember in 20 years' time. Um, 
Did I err in putting Alex Len as the first entry on the list here? And I, I think the important thing is the Hoffa Meridian. That is what I call where Hoffa is. If you're below Hoffa, you are uh, an embarrassment. If you're higher than Hoffa, you're less than an embarrassment. Um, Alex Len at his seven games with the team, did he warrant being placed one spot higher than Hoffa, Rujo, Josh Kurt? Uh, well, first of all, it was surprising to me to see that seven games played number there because I didn't remember <laughs> that he played in that many games. Um, but yeah, I think it is right to put him above uh, above Hoffa because the one thing that I do remember about Alex Len is he had all those three pointers against the Knicks, and you mentioned that yes. in the piece. And I have no memory of uh, Hoffa doing anything in his time with the Raptors. So <laughs> you know, it balances out. I think he deserves to be a little higher than Hoffa. Yeah, Hoffa played, I think, two seasons with the team, but it was all yeah. very bad. And yes. I, I think the reason he gets hit, like there are guys who played, you know, in his range, guys who played like two, three, four games with the team, seven games in the case of Alex Len. Usually this is the range for guys who were on like 10 days or guys who didn't yeah. play at all, like Alonzo Mourning and Kenny Anderson, who are the ceremonial bottom two every year, despite never having played for the team. Um, but with... Hoffa, like his existence on the team was so damaging. His draft pick in place of, you know, Andre Godala or name any other player from the first round of that draft, which, you know, none of them stand out as being all that great, but all were better than Hoffa. Um, I think that is why he gets sort of knocked down pretty seriously in the rankings. And yeah, when you're in this range in the 200s out of 249 players that we're talking about, you know, the little tiny things that people remember are going to be enough to nudge you ahead a few spots. And those few threes against the Knicks in the first win of the Raptors season when they, I believe, were 0-3 and looked pretty rough against the Knicks in that first half as well until Lent started hitting all those corner threes. Uh, that was enough to bump him up for me. I couldn't go any higher. I guess sort of thinking back to when he was cut. Do you have any sort of ill will towards the Raptors for moving on from Alex Len? He went on to have a pretty reasonable season with the Wizards, of course, in that bizarro big man rotation. But, you know, are you upset or, or are you thinking, you know, he was not going to be the answer to the problems anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think upset would be too strong of a, a term. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Len wasn't making a difference for last year's Raptors team either way. But it is still weird to me that, you know, given their big man struggles at the time, um, obviously mm -hmm. as well before Kim Birch joined up. Um, yeah, that they would cut a big man who was, I mean, obviously not great, but certainly capable. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, they kept Aaron Baines around for the whole season. And I don't know. I mean, I couldn't tell you whether Baines or Len was the better player because they were both <laughs> pretty awful. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's still weird to me that, that they made that cut you know, um, especially as early as they did, you know, if they maybe waited mm -hmm. till closer to the trade deadline or something, it might've made more sense to me, but yeah, it's still a, still a strange thing. Um, but yeah, I, I can't say that I have any ill will towards, uh, towards that move. No, I think uh, at the time it was kind of jarring, but also like it, it kind of signaled, I think their move to playing small ball a little bit and we're like, okay, we don't really need this extra center on the team. Who's just going to take up space and not really fit into our defense. And it did kind of clear the way for them to play small and actually have the run where they were good for a while. People forget that happened. They were a good team until the plague hit. Um, yes. And Alex Len's departure in a way was the domino that began it all. Uh, maybe we should bump him up a little higher on account of that. Uh, <laughs> speaking of bigs, um, 
you know, we don't need to talk about Henry Ellenson, who I put a little bit higher than Len despite playing just two games. He had pretty productive efforts in his two games. Seven and a half points, six boards, two and a half assists in his time. He was a plus 17 in his debut when he was on a 10-day. Did not come back because the man cannot play defense. Um, my favorite stat from the piece, 83 career games played for Henry Ellenson. Three career blocks, two of which came in the same game. Uh, just a wild, strange lottery pick of the last uh, half decade or so. Um, Rodney Hood comes in at 215. I guess we can briefly talk about Rodney Hood before we get to Aaron Baines. Um, you know, did you have any sort of belief that Big Rod was going to be something that could kind of turn the tide for the Raptors' second unit? I remember you had that 13-point game against Portland in his second game, and it was like, oh, all right, some self-creation off the bench. This is interesting. Uh, are you at all uh, bitter about the uh, ending of the Rodney Hood era? Do you think there could have been more there? Or was it basically exactly what we all should have expected? I think it was what we should have expected. I think, you know, from a personal standpoint, I kind of thought that maybe he would have done more just because that's kind of who he is and mm -hmm. kind of felt like, I don't know, his career was kind of in the balance a little bit, right? If he had made an impact yeah. with the Raptors, could have led to a, another contract down the road. He obviously he had a, you know, a early, was it a, a team option this year, right? Um, mm -hmm. But the Raptors didn't pick up, I believe. Um, but yeah, I mean, injuries obviously played a part of it. Um, he couldn't stay healthy, which is kind of the story of his career. Um, yeah. Yeah. So on the one hand, yeah, I did expect more from him just in terms of like stats and things like that. But I certainly didn't expect that he was going to make much of an impact on the team overall. I mean, I think, again, the the, the fortunes of last year's team were, were set uh, certainly by that point, you know, with with uh, yeah. post COVID and everything. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think his ranking on this list is, is maybe a bit high, given that, you know, he had such a limited impact in such a short amount of time. But again, when you start to look at the players around him on the list, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's one spot ahead of Sean Marks. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, he's uh, right between Sean Marks and DJ Augustine, where yeah. everybody dreams of being uh, when they start their <laughs> NBA career. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, Hood, I think it more spoke to like the dire state of the Raptors second unit that like his little tiny bit of self-creation and his like smooth looking lefty stroke were like, oh, this is pretty interesting coming off the bench. But um, yeah, I don't think there was ever much to hope for there. I, honestly, the biggest hope was Rodney Hood would be involved in a draft day trade. Um, my Miles Turner agenda fell apart pretty quickly there, uh, but he is no longer on the team. He is, I think, going to camp with the Bucks. So good luck to him as he uh, tries to make it work in Milwaukee. Uh, we're going to get to Aaron Baines, who is one of the sort of, I think, key figures in this section of the list. We'll get to him in one second here uh, to continue on our assessment of my Ranking Every Raptor, first half of my Ranking Every Raptor version 4.0. We'll get to that in one second here. But first... I want to tell you about our friends over at Sweatblock who are making your shirts dry. I don't know what to say. It's like the best way to describe it. They bring you antiperspirant wipes, deodorant, a bunch of other wonderful products as well. And they are guaranteeing that your shirts are going to stay dry from your excessive sweating. It is doctor created, doctor recommended, and works for up to seven days per use. And it is the number one Amazon antiperspirant right now uh, in that category on Amazon. So it's working. People like it, and I like it too. I am a customer of Sweatblock because it works for me. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before going to bed. 
Then you uh, wake up, wash, go about your day without worrying about sweat, guaranteed. It's amazing. It takes a few hours to set in while you sleep, and then you wake up, and then boom, excessive sweating is no more. I know it's going to sound too good to be true, but I literally only have to use sweat block once or twice a week, and it keeps me dry the whole time. And I am a person who sweats a lot. That is impressive. That is a feat that sweat block has achieved here. No more pinning out, no more picking your shirts based on which one will hide sweat, sweat better. If you or someone you love deals with excessive sweating and is uncomfortable talking about it, doesn't want to live with it anymore, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com or with the promo code locked on, or you can go to Amazon and CVS and pick it up as well. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at Direct TV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and get your TV together, and that is called Direct TV Stream, baby. It is bringing you live TV and on-demand sports favorites together like you like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no more need to buy a new device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion to get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, Josh, let's continue on here. We were going to talk about Aaron Baines off the top, but he deserves, I think, almost a full segment to himself because he's an interesting character in Toronto Raptors history. I think Aaron Baines, in a lot of ways, was kind of set up to fail um, with the Raptors. You know, he was replacing two beloved franchise icons. He was being asked to sort of replicate an outlier season that he put together with Phoenix. He was being asked to relocate to Tampa when his wife was giving birth to a new child, like days before the season. There was a lot going on with Aaron Baines, and I feel for the guy because by the end of the season, it became like a big fat pylon fest, and it was not really fair to him. The team, I think, kind of showed its ass in a lot of ways when talking about Baines, too. I put him in at number 176 on this list. He is stuck in between John Long at 177, NBA champion Jody Meeks is at 178 for reference, Michael Curry at 175. Uh, a similarly frustrating player, I think, if I think back to the days of Michael Curry on the Raptors. Um, Aaron Baines, you know, maybe this is a little bit high for the performance he put in this season. He really, really detracted from all the Raptors lineups that he played in. But, you know, he put up some production. He had some moments here and there. And in this range, it's not hard, like I said, to kind of move up a few spots with a couple good games, frankly. Um, what what are you sort of thinking about with the Aaron Baines experience, Josh? Like, do you sort of view it as like this unequivocal failure of Baines? Do you view this as like a Raptors failure? Like, how do you sort of now that we've had some time to sort of digest and move away from last season and kind of get some distance? How are you sort of viewing the Baines experience in Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I think it is um, a little bit equally between the team and, and Baines. And I also think there's a sort of a fan expectations factor that comes in too, right? I mean, we're used sure. to the Raptors, you know, being a really successful team for the past several years before last season. Um, we're used to seeing big men come in and have, you know, a solid impact with guys like Kyle Lowry if he's in the ball. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that set us all up for having high expectations for Baines, especially, again, he had that, that solid season in Phoenix. Um, maybe we didn't think that was an outlier. Maybe we thought that was who he was. But at the same time, you know, I think if we look at it a little bit more critically and say, well, the guy was 33, 34 years old. Players don't really change that much at that stage in their careers. Um, it probably was more of an outlier than an actual sort of gradual change in, in his career mm -hmm. at that point. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that said, all the other factors that you mentioned, um, you know, the rust, because uh, the guy hadn't played in a long time. He had COVID the previous summer, um, mm-hmm. didn't play in the bubble, um, you know, playing in Tampa. And then, yeah, trying to fill the shoes of, of two beloved players who everybody loved because of their personalities, but also just because of their production on the court, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, you can look at Marcus Gasol's numbers and say, well, he wasn't that productive, but obviously his impact on the defense was, um, you know, sensational. And to expect Baines to come in and, and fill those shoes was was a high bar uh, to ask. That said, his inability to seemingly catch the most basic of passes or <laughs> grab a rebound with two hands as opposed to punching it in the air uh, was mm-hmm. just incredibly frustrating to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the short list of most infuriating Raptors to watch. He's certainly on it. Like, yeah. if you're talking about like free agent signings, obviously he didn't make as much money as Damari Carroll or Hito Turgaloo, but in terms of like underperforming dollar amount earned in free agency, like he's right there with those guys. Like Damari Carroll played in the playoffs and had some moments and Hito Turgaloo, well, he didn't do anything except for being pizza pizza commercials, which were fun. But yeah. um <laughs> but like yeah, it, it's it's tricky cuz you know, as much as I say that he was kind of set up to fail, he was also in a lot of ways set up to succeed by the infrastructure the Raptors had in place, right? Like there was yeah. not a lot being asked of Aaron Baines coming into the season. It was, you know, shoot threes when they come to you and he did that very eagerly with phoenix and you know it wasn't a matter of replace serge abaca like for like in terms of pick and pop threes and stuff but the volume you thought would be there and you know the the accuracy certainly was not he shot like 26 percent from three mm-hmm. you know rebounding was a big thing of course like they're a small team they struggle with rebounding they play small a lot they play tiny guards like they needed some rebounding from the bigs and aaron baines could not provide that whatsoever it seemed like Whenever he was even just like a tiny step out of position, he was getting beat for offensive boards. As you said, often sort of volleyball spiking balls into the third row for no real apparent reason. It was tricky to sort of navigate and sort of know where the Raptors blame ended and the Baines blame began. You know, there was a lot there to set up to help him succeed. I remember I wrote like a season preview for Baines and thought like, okay, this is like a totally reasonable backup plan the Raptors have gone with here. I still think if there's a 5% chance of signing Giannis, you keep that window open, even though that window closed very soon after the free agency period with Giannis signing the Supermax. I still think the logic behind it made sense. And I think, you know, I've made this point before on the show, the way Ken Birch came in and played well, you know, kind of out of nowhere, kind of proved they were right that you can fill the center spot with a mercenary type player and be just fine. They just picked the wrong guy in Baines. And you know, as much as they had a lot of perimeter defense there to kind of protect him and insulate him, he was not cut out at all for Nick Nurse's style of defense. And then, you know, where does the blame go for Nurse not changing his defensive stylings to more matches personnel? That's also something to consider too here. So it sucks, man. I I, I'm, I feel for Baines. He seemed like a good dude. He seemed like, um, you know, a nice locker room guy and all that. And I thought, you know, by the end of the season, it had gotten a little bit over the top. Like the Adrian Griffin quote after they signed Ken Birch, and it was like, oh, finally we have bigs for the first time since Mark and Serge. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any last lingering Aaron Baines thoughts? Um, you know, I'm going to have them in nightmare form for a long time, but do you have any others for the for podcast? Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm on board with you there. I guess the only thing I would say is that it's very easy to say like, oh, whatever, it was a bad signing. To your point, if you're going to keep that window open for Giannis, even if it's a slim window, you want to do it. But also, like, you can't really compare it to a signing like Damari Carroll. I mean, he was, what, he had a four-year contract, right? Baines was yeah, yeah. two years, and the second year was the team option. Like, you know, yeah, 
<laughs> for eight million bucks, like it's it's a very small risk, right? And yeah, it didn't pay off, but I mean, whatever. They move on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like it's it's a albatross around Sai's neck or, or Bobby Webster's neck for the next three years. Yeah, that's uh, very, very true. Uh, we continue on. I'll just sit on a couple more guys here sort of in the next range, uh, and then we can uh, move on and talk about sort of Yuto Watanabe is kind of the main guy I want to talk, and then we'll talk about who is not in the first half of the list as well to close things out in the final segment. But uh, Jalen Harris and Freddie Gillespie I want to talk about. So Jalen Harris comes in at 166, uh, has that really strong finish to the season, um, You know, scores double figures in I think four or five straight games, has the 30-point game against Dallas. Freddie Gillespie in at 161, uh, just a godsend with his just basic ability to grab a rebound. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of nice. Um, obviously, very good content provider as well, singing for the, the, the team at practice, kind of lifting the vibes up a little bit. Um, you know, these guys, I think Freddie Gillespie stands a chance of moving up if he makes the team, although that's up in the air at this point, considering how he played at Summer League. Jalen Harris uh, may not get a chance to play in the NBA again because the NBA has dumb rules against testing adult grown-ass men for drugs. Um, do I? Do you think I kind of landed on the right spots with these guys? Harris, I have between Greg Steamsma at 167 and Solomon Alabi at 165, another guy who played a brief time with the team, but also had a couple of nice big performances before never appearing in the NBA again. Uh, and Freddie Gillespie appears between Mamadou and Jai and Marcus Banks, uh, who is at 160. Um, you know, thoughts on, uh, let's start with Harris, I suppose. Like, you sure. know, how much do you think he could have climbed this year had the drug test not taken place? I guess that's maybe the place to begin with him. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of potential uh, in here, especially for a team that was kind of starved for for offense at times, yeah. right? Um, he, the guy could shoot, um, and it's a bummer that he's not going to be around. Uh, let me ask you, though, if, if you know, based on how you sort of do these rankings, if if, if he was still on the team this year, would you mm -hmm. have maybe slotted him in a bit higher knowing that there's potential for him to move up? No, I try not to like over predict what's going to mm -hmm. happen when I, when I, there's a very, you know, sound, uh, methodology behind this list. Of course. Josh. Uh, yes. no, <laughs> no, I try not to like go on like future performance, you, yeah. you know, like for example, you know, not to spoil anything, but like Pascal Siakam, I think he's probably going to climb past Kras climb past Chris Bosch at some point here, but I'm not going to put him past there until he's actually done it. Um, yeah. Same with Jalen Harris. I think at some point he'll climb past Maceo Bastin, but he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't proved it yeah. yet. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I guess maybe subconsciously I might have, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, it is tricky because he only had those 13 games. There's only so much you can do with it and only so much you can kind of bump him up the rankings based on one 30 point game as much as I don't think any of the guys in this range ever had a 30 point game. So I guess he kind of has that feather in his cap over some of these other guys, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about like where he would have probably slotted into the rotation this season. Like, I don't think he mm -hmm. would have been like in the clear bench rotation or anything like that. He probably would have gotten some nine Oh five time, even though they're, yeah. they're pretty heavy on guards down there. He probably still would have had been in that mix there, but yeah, yeah I, I think you know, a climb into like near the top 100 probably wouldn't have been out of, out of the question if he was like the 12th man on the Raptors and, you know, some injury fill in or whatever, you know, maybe Goran Dragic gets dealt and that opens up a spot on the, in the guard rotation. Like it's totally would have been room for him to at least kind of have the production over the course of a larger chunk of games to move up again. It doesn't take a lot to move up here, um, yeah. but it's a shame, man. I, uh, I, you know, is he someone that you'd like to see them bring back down the line or is it more of a, Oh, it was nice, but like, 
you know, maybe they can find a similar type player as much as like the human side of things where I hope the Raptors are offering as much support to him as they possibly can is the thing in terms of like personnel, you know, are you like sitting there fawning over Jalen Harris, uh, the lost sort of potential star that was Jalen Harris? Are you kind of all right with like, Oh, David Johnson's here now. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, as much as I enjoyed that 30 point game and, and sort of seeing him, you know, score off the bounce in that, that 13 game stretch, you know, shooting guards like that are, are kind of a dime a dozen. I mean, sure. he didn't really stand out above and beyond um, what I think the average kind of, of shooting guard prospect would, would bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I'm not necessarily fawning over, fawning over him, but yeah, I mean, I'd be happy if they brought him back to your point, if there, if there is a way to the Raptors can support him uh, the next sort of step in his journey and, and getting himself back to the NBA, I think that would be great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not somebody that I'm like, ah, you know, really ashamed <laughs> to see him go or anything like that. Um, I do, I am, I am glad that you mentioned the 905 though, because I do think that's maybe a factor in, in where some of these guys might net out when you think about, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there was a G League bubble last year and, and, you know, Harris and Flynn got some time there. Um, but, you know, if they had the opportunity to have a full season with a 905, then who knows yeah. where they might have landed on this list, right? So. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, maybe they don't get in the NBA at all, frankly, you know, if things yeah. are different, right? Like, you know, yeah. Jalen Harris could have been a 905er who never made the list, uh, if not for yeah. other circumstances, uh, taking over the Raptors season in a very terrible way. Um, yeah. Quickly on Freddie Gillespie before we move on, um, yeah. you know, I hope he makes the team for his sake. You know, I'm not rooting yeah. for anybody to lose money or lose shots at NBA uh, earnings or anything like that. Do you think he's going to make the team at this point? He was pretty rough in summer league and Precious Achua very clearly ahead of him. Obviously, Ken Birch is ahead of him. And I would argue that like OG, Scotty Barnes, Pascal are probably ahead of him in terms of guys who are going to get money at the five. Chris Boucher, too. Do you think they could kind of reallocate that roster spot elsewhere? Or what's your sort of vision here for Freddie Gillespie coming into the year? Yeah, I mean, I think... Coming into summer league, I thought he was um, definitely aligned to make the the team. But yeah, that was a really mm-hmm. rough performance uh, for him in summer league. And uh, yeah, to your point, like the roster is pretty full at this point, and they've got guys that I think they see a future around. Whereas Gillespie was, you know, kind of a project last year, and yeah, it was a nice story, but difficult to see that there's necessarily a huge lot of potential in front of him when you look at guys like, you know, Barnes or, or Delano Banton. Um, you know, those guys mm-hmm. obviously they seem to have a little bit more invested in at this point. So, Yeah. Yeah, we'll see about Freddie Gillespie. He very well could be a one-time entrant at 161, and we will always love his party in the USA rendition. Yes. Uh, we're going to continue on and uh, finish up and hit on some of the last few guys in the first half of the list and look ahead to part two coming up later on in the week. Uh, we'll get to that in one second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Sleeper, which is like a new version of fantasy basketball that would actually maybe convince me to play fantasy basketball. I usually get roped into a league every year, just like last minute. I feel in the basketball vibe. Someone says, hey, we need a person for our fantasy league. And I say, yes, please, I'll join. That sounds fun. And then within two weeks, I'm sick of it because I don't like picking lineups every single day. I just can't do it. I can maybe do it for baseball because baseball is a little bit more of a sleepy sport and you can kind of set your lineup at the beginning of the week and let it roll. Can't do that with fantasy basketball, but that's okay because Sleeper is a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their total team score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. You don't get this thing where you just win because your team plays five games because the NBA schedule is insane. 
The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more games scheduled to play are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over as well. And boy, does that speak to me because I hate the busy work of fantasy sports. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be work. In game picks, you get one game per week for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive ranking, pace of play, and more. And all of that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. You get to choose the games you want to use your players in. That is great. And you can outwit your friends and beat your friends, which is what fantasy sports is all about. Whether you prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty, game picks has you covered. Sleeper, crack the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football and you like the weekly sort of option of it, then you're going to love game pick for fantasy basketball as well. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed with the most strategic fantasy basketball experience in the industry today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at theragun and look i'm a person with a garbage body i try to work out and be active and all that stuff but it hurts me when i do it i go play some softball my legs hurt for three days i go for a bike ride my lower back kills and my legs are sore my calves are sore all of that well guess what the stress of daily life doesn't have to weigh on your body whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who is decidedly not an elite athlete and you just want to make it through the day tension free theragun can help it is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth speed and power and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush the gen 4 theragun doesn't just feel good it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using theragun signature percussive therapy which goes 60 percent deeper than vibration alone whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury or just the stresses of everyday life there is no substitute for the theragun gen 4 the oled screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future go to their site check it out and uh, the theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggest just guided routines as well. Theragun is trusted by more than 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, and Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me, baby. Uh, try Theragun for 30 days starting at only 199 bucks. Go to Therabody, T-H-E-R-A-B-O-D-Y.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Therabody.com slash locked on, Therabody.com slash locked on. All right, Josh, let's finish up here uh, with our look at the sort of top of the charts in the first half of the ranking of your Raptor list. A, a few guys who are making their second appearances on the list, Paul Watson Jr., uh, Patrick McCaw, uh, uh, Matt Thomas. Watson comes in at 147. McCaw comes in at 141, dropping down six spots. And uh, Matt Thomas is in 130, dropping down 21 spots. I may have gotten a little overzealous with my ranking of Matt Thomas last year, which is fine. We were all caught up in it. I blame Alex Wong. Um, and then Yutu Watanabe comes in at 125. We don't have to talk about all these guys, but does any ranking here particularly interest you, Josh? Um, or are you particularly angry about where I've placed anybody in this group of guys? <laughs> Uh, not angry, no. Um, like you, I, I kind of forgot that Patrick McCaw was around last season. Um, mm -hmm, those, mm -hmm. what was it, five games? Um, barely played. Um, yeah, kind of a bummer to see him drop after what was something that wasn't really in his control, his injuries and things like that, especially considering yeah. how much of a punching bag he was from the fans, right? Um, yeah. For his, you know, some of his proclivities the season before. Um, so kind of not really his fault, um, but I guess that's the way it goes. Um, a little bit disappointed, um, not to see where Paul Watson is on the list, but just that we're not going to get to see him rise up any further, but possibly, I mean, I guess yeah. there's always a chance he could come back. Um, but yeah, I thought there's still a lot of potential in Paul Watson. And again, another guy whose season was just, just kind of cut short and, um, in, in a way that had nothing to do with him or, or his faults. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah, Watson has 30 points uh, in a game against Orlando. The next game, I think he goes 0 for 10, which was interesting. Yeah. And then that's the end. He, that's his last game as a Raptor as he got COVID yeah. and missed the rest of the year. Um, yeah. Real bummer. This kind of like a bummer crew, honestly. Like the Thomas, <laughs> McCaw, Watson range in the list. Like Thomas was, I think, in line for rotation minutes this season and could just never capitalize. Yes, Nick Nurse yeah. didn't really trust him a whole lot, but also... You know, you kind of have to play a little bit of defense. And I think it kind of was proven that the reasonable defense he played in the bubble was far more sort of an outlier than anything else. Like he, he just, you know, especially with the lesser supporting cast around him this year on defense, there was just nowhere to hide him. You couldn't hide him in those zones. He was just running around like a chicken with his head cut off, like you saw in his rookie season for most of the time he was on the team. So it's a bummer. It didn't quite work out. He didn't, you know, he shot 40% from three as he's wont to do, but he just never shot yeah. like the defense is new. Okay. This guy's on the floor to take threes. We're going to take those threes away. And there wasn't a whole lot you could do. There's only so much you can do when you have exactly one marketable NBA skill. And, um, you know, I, I've spoken with uh, our pal David Locke from Lockdown Jazz, the Grand Poobah of the network. He was not exactly pleased with watching Matt Thomas down in Utah either. So, um, you know, I think the Raptors just getting a second rounder, one of those two second rounders that became Banton or Johnson. I don't know which one. Um, nice little bit of business for the team there. Um, you know, McCaw. It sucks. The injury is terrible. That said, I, the point I made in the piece about him is that I think he's kind of had the platonic ideal of an NBA career, for me at least. Um, you know, played five seasons, won three titles, uh, made 11 million bucks, goes out, you know, not really having a whole lot of responsibility. Pretty tight to me. Uh, it's like yeah, me it's wanting to be a relief pitcher. Yeah, like being a long reliever in Major League Baseball, also the dream career. Uh, yeah. I think Matt Patrick McCaw, kind of the long reliever of Raptors players on this list. Um, so yeah, that's, that's fun. And then we get to Yuta Watanabe who comes in at 125, and I think probably stands the chance of being the highest riser on next year's list. This is kind of always the thing I'm looking at. Uh, this year's highest riser appears in the next section. Uh, we will not spoil that just yet, but, uh, Utah comes in at 125, played 50 games, 4.4 points, 3.2 boards, really kind of progressed as the season went along, especially as a shooter kind of got emboldened to, uh, you know, go bombs away more often. Uh, what was your sort of thought uh, on the Utah season, his first season in Toronto, and what are your expectations for him going into next year? Yeah, I mean, it certainly uh, exceeded all expectations last year, I think. Um, you know, even just seeing him at, at 125 on this list, I mean, I don't know if it speaks more to him or more about, like, how terrible some of these other guys are Yep, <laughs> in, in Raptors history. Um, probably a little bit of both. Uh, but yeah, I think he he has a huge opportunity even in front of him this year. I mean, the roster is very much in flux, right? And I think there's mm -hmm. lots of room for guys to make an impact and hopefully, you know, Nick Nurse will be sort of flexible and sort of saying, okay, well, I see this guy's putting the time in, he's putting the work in, he's making the impact. I'm going to give him more minutes. I'm going to reward, reward him with more minutes. Um, mm -hmm. And a guy like Utah, I mean, he can kind of do it on both ends. I mean, he's obviously, it's difficult to judge a lot based on last season because it was kind yeah. of such a, lo a lost season. Um, but just on the surface of it, I mean, he played, you know, energy with, or defense with high energy. Um, as you said, sort of opened up his shooting game as the year went on. Um, and yeah, just uh, some of that sort of attitude and that, that, um, energy that he brought to the floor is kind of what I think a lot of us are expecting from Scotty Barnes this year. That's kind of what mm -hmm. he was showing in summer league and, and even just in his attitude, these guys that really seem to enjoy playing basketball and, and really seem to uh, want to just fly around out there and, and do whatever they can. You know, maybe there's uh, 
opportunity to rein that in a little bit and, and direct it in an effective way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of great to see that, right? Especially when a team is in transition like that. Those are the kind of players that you want to watch and you want to root for. Yeah, and I mean, he certainly fits the vision of the team, you know, just based yes. on the moves they've made, right? He's 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, He's a good defender. He can switch a bunch of positions. Like, I could see him, if they really want to get weird with it and, and play just like jumbo ball, and they want to go with like a Barnes, OG, Siakam trio flanked by some other long weirdos, like, throw Utah in there. Why not? Like, see what yeah. happens, I guess. Like, make Pascal the point guard for all I care. Make Scotty Barnes the point guard. <laughs> Dot the perimeter with... Chris Boucher and Yuta Watanabe, and maybe you're cooking with something weird and fun for three minutes at a time. Um, yeah. You know, I think the fact that Pascal's going to miss the start of the season also bodes well for Yuta, kind of carving out more of a role. He figures to me to be like the 11th guy in the rotation at the moment, but with Pascal out, obviously those are some minutes at the four that can be filled in. Um, and we certainly know we know what he brings on the defensive end. I think like his playmaking is kind of slept on too. Like I think he's a good passer. He didn't really get a lot of chance to like be a playmaker last season because he was more yeah. of a play finisher, but. I think, you know, that's an interesting little wrinkle to his game as a fifth guy standing around, you know, attack closeout, you know, make a, a dump off pass, that type of thing. Um, you know, I don't think his jump's going to be terribly like dramatic or anything like that. But if you're looking at the list, you know, in the range of like 80, 75, you get like Jermaine O'Neal and Sean Marion. Like it's not exactly hallowed ground that you're trying to make up to get into that range. And I think there's very real possibility for, you know, a 30, 40 spot jump for you to this season um I'm, I'm a big fan and i think he's you know there might be some people who think he's like maybe not a shoe in to make the team i think he's for sure making the team and yeah. you know we'll, we'll we'll see from there yeah what, what were you gonna say oh I've, yeah i would be shocked if he didn't make the team at this point um i think yeah. something pretty awful would have to happen in camp for that to happen um <laughs> yeah and and hopefully nothing like that does happen uh but yeah i mean i think to your point too about um you know pascal being injured um, that opens up a big, a big opportunity. And also just, you know, if the season kind of doesn't go um, in the right mm -hmm. direction and see something similar to last year where, yeah, if guys are a little bit banged up, maybe they take an extra game or two off. Like there's going to be lots of opportunities for those guys in the middle of the roster or towards the end of the roster to, to you know, make an impact or, or have an opportunity to show what they can do. So. Absolutely. Uh, Utah seems like a, a real gem, real, real nice keeper. And, uh, you know, a, a very good find by the Raptors. Uh, let's quickly uh, look ahead to part two of the list. Obviously, we'll get the, you know, the top 10 and all that stuff and the important things there. Is there anything in particular you're intrigued? Any players rankings you're particularly excited to see, Josh, going into part two? Yeah, well, I think, you know, just looking back at last year's roster and kind of these one and done type guys, DeAndre Bembry stands out to me as yep. a guy who, mm -hmm. you know, had some ups and downs for sure, but but seemed to again fit that that mold that you mentioned of like you know tall and long and and can correct <laughs> multiple positions. Um, so I mean, a a bit surprising that um he there seemed to be no interest in bringing him back. Um, but yeah. also you know to be honest, kind of thought he would fall on this this sort of the bottom half of the list. So kind of a pleasant surprise to see that he's going to be in the top half. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, my guy Stanley Johnson, who uh, yeah. was. You know, I think 195 on last year's list um, looks like it's going to be a huge jump for Stanley. Um, you know, happy for him that uh, he was able to at least get some some moments uh, last <laughs> year, um, you know, uh, you know, playing out of position, obviously um, showing what he can do on the defensive end, obviously still. A, a very raw player on offense, but uh, 
Yeah, um, Bembry and Johnson will appear pretty soon in the in the next half. Uh, Johnson, I, I'll spoil it. Johnson's the highest riser on the list this season, which I guess speaks to the quality of last year's Raptors team. But someone's got to be the high riser, and it was in fact Stanley Johnson. I think Chris Boucher makes a pretty big leap as well. Um, the thing I am excited to kind of dig into, and I think people might yell at me, is where I have Fred Van Vliet. Um, I'm not going to spoil it just yet. You have to wait for the piece to drop later in the week, but. Um, like I have Fred pretty high and past a certain legend that I think people might agree with, like, because recency bias is nice and everyone loves Fred, but it might be a bit of a controversial take. I don't know. We'll see. That's going to come up later in the week. Uh, I'm going to be joined actually on Friday's podcast by Freddie Revis of the Confederacy of Dunks podcast, as we're going to run through the top 124 because round numbers, who cares? Uh, 124 it is. Um, we're going to run through the rest of the list and Freddie's going to dissect the list and tell me why I'm wrong and why I'm right and all that stuff, just like Josh did here today. Josh, that will do it for today's episode, though. Thank you so much for being here, man. It was lovely to uh, chat with you. Lovely to have you on the show for the first time. And thank you for uh, assisting me in my self-indulgence uh, doing a podcast about pieces I write. Uh, it's uh, it's very, very th- <laughs> nice of you. Uh, where can people check out your work, man? Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And yeah, you can find me, obviously, at RaptorsHQ.com. Um, and of course, on Twitter, at Joshua Kern or at RaptorsHQ. Awesome. Uh, We'll have lots of great stuff at HQ coming this season. Game coverage, all that good stuff as we'll be back in the building. Back in the building. It's unbelievable. I don't even remember if I know how to get in the building after two almost two years away, but uh, I'll make my way. We'll we'll help Josh get in there too. Uh, That will do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll probably be back with an episode on Thursday. Topic TBD, but uh, likely we'll have something Thursday for you. And then on Friday, Freddie Revis, as promised, will join to break down the second half of ranking every raptor version 4.0 again if you want to read the piece the link to ranking every raptor version 4.0 uh, 249 to 125 very very wordy title uh, it will be in the link for the youtube page as well as the podcast so you can go read that if you have not already uh thank you in advance and uh we'll talk to you again later in the week with another episode of locked on raptors Bye bye <laughs>